Welcome to the Opium Den. I'm Daniel Williams. Well, it's another Thursday night, and I appreciate all of you for tuning in. I hope everybody had a safe and happy 4th of July. I, uh, I drove up to Ohio, where my brother and sister live, and where my mother and father are buried, to spend the, uh, the 4th of July with, uh, with them. And uh, I come from a very small town, Fairborn, Ohio. And uh, the 4th of July parade always was a, a big event in our town, and it uh, remained so. So my brother and I, my brother Tom, uh, walked from his, from his house over down to the parade route and spent the, uh, the parade on the front porch of a good friend of his uh, sister's house. And uh, it was a very, very hot day, as most of you experienced over the weekend. It was actually hotter in Fairborn, Ohio, than it was uh, down here in uh, Benita Springs. So I thought I was going to escape uh, the summer heat down here by heading up to Ohio, but that was not to be the case. It was uh, very hot. But anyway, it was good to see uh, some friends that I hadn't seen in a while, spend some time with my brother and sister and niece and nephew and um, my grandniece, McKenna. It was always always good to see her since she lives in Ohio and we live down here. You don't get a chance to see them, and they at that age, she's nine. At that age, they grow up very fast, but my grandniece, McKenna, very bright young girl, gets all A's in school, she's pretty, she's tall, she's athletic, she's got a good sense of humor, and she seems uh, to be on her way to, to having a, a fun summer and a, and a good life, so I know you're not listening to McKenna, this is an R-rated show and your mommy won't let you listen, but I just want to give you a shout out, hon, it was great to see you and hope you won your, your baseball game that night, sorry I couldn't stay, but had uh, had to leave, so hope things are well. But anyway, so the the, the topic of tonight's show uh, came from a couple of a uh, couple of uh, areas. Like I said, I was on the on the road all last week and didn't have a lot of time to to think about the show. But um, a couple of things uh, sparked my imagination and uh, came up with tonight's topic. And tonight's topic is. What did your parents tell you about drugs? And if you want to share that uh, that experience, please give us a call. The number here is 727-493-2205. And if you give us a call and share your experience with your parents, I will send you a free copy of my book, The Naked Truth About Drugs. So if you want to call in and share the experiences of the drug talks that your parents gave you and how that uh, affected your thought process, please give us a call, 727-493-2205. We'll put you on the radio, send your voice out there to literally every corner of the world. And for doing, uh, for sharing your, uh, your story with us, we'll send you a free copy of my book, The Naked Truth About Drugs. Now, I haven't, uh, haven't uh, pimped my book in a while, but I thought tonight would be a, a good time to, to, to pimp it out a little bit because the, uh, the topic is the, uh, 
uh, what parents told you. And most parents, good intentions notwithstanding, did, uh, did not tell the truth to their children. And uh, what got me thinking about that was a friend of mine had uh, her barely teenage son uh, ask her some some questions about uh, drug paraphernalia and why it was why it was used or how it was used and the like and uh, she admitted not to having much much to say to her kids at this point and not telling your children anything uh, can be as bad as uh, telling them uh, the wrong thing and I also uh, thought about it when I watched all the kids watching the parade and in the parade, all these young kids, nine and 10 years old. And I was thinking, you know, in another eight or nine years, a lot of these kids will be, uh, will have probably had their first uh, drug experience. And uh, I was kind of wondered how many of them would end up in handcuffs and their uh, future lives uh, shortchanged due to uh, uh, drug charge and possible drug conviction. So I'm wondering what their parents will be telling them and what their their grandparents told their parents. So uh, if you have a good uh, if you have a story about what your parents told you, again, give us a call here to the show. We'll put you on the air seven two seven four nine three two two zero five and for taking the time to call in and share your story. I'll, we'll see to it that you get a free copy of my book, The Naked Truth About Drugs. And like I said, I'm pimping it out tonight because, uh, as the title implies, uh, I tell the truth about, uh, about drugs in my book. I tell the pros and the cons and the ups and the downs. And oh, we have a call coming in right now, so let's see what we got going here. Welcome to the Opium Den. Who's calling? Hello, welcome to the Opium Den. Um, cat got your tongue? Hello? Oh, well, I can barely hear you if you'll have to speak up. Are you on a speakerphone or in a cave somewhere? You're where? You're looking at my radio station. Well, <laughs> okay. You're going. Are you speaking into uh, your telephone or the computer? Well, I don't know what the problem is here. Let me see if I can work some magic here and try to turn this up. What do you, can you talk to me now? I'm sorry. Okay, wait a minute. That's a little too loud. Okay, try talk to me now. Okay, can you hear me now? <laughs> we sound like a Verizon commercial. Yes, I can hear you now. Modern technology, dear. Modern technology. What we're doing is, uh, hell, I don't know what we're doing. I got a technical guy that handles all this stuff, but just uh, don't question it. Just go with it. So, yes, you're you're on the radio. People are listening to your voice as we speak. Okay. So, are you a parent or a child, or what's your what's your story tonight? Where are you calling from? Uh, Fairborn, Ohio. Oh no! I just was talking about Fairborn. I have I have fans in Fairborn. I think maybe. So, tell me your story. Uh, my parents didn't tell me anything, um, except that you 
Did you believe them? Did you believe them? <laughs> well, what did you think when it turned out not to be true if, in fact, you smoked pot and didn't jump off a building? I said, well, if that's what they told you, and then what did you think about your parents when you smoked pot, if you did, if you, when you smoked pot the first time and it didn't make you jump off a skyscraper, did you think they were full of shit or you were just lucky? A late bloomer. Now why, now, why would you tell your children the same thing when you found what your parents told you was a lie? Why, why would you continue that, uh, that same storyline? Well, did you know anybody else that smoked pot and jumped off a fucking skyscraper? How'd that work out for you? <laughs> well, there's a fucking surprise. Well, did they ever, did they ever come back and talk to you and ask you why you told them lies? Well, did you, did you agree with them and tell them that you did you tell them you were sorry? Do the other three drink? No. So you have you have one child who who uh, who uses drugs, legal or illegal, and three children that don't. Correct. What's wrong with the three that don't? <laughs> I'm just teasing, ma'am. <laughs> What about the one that does get high? Is that is that child a functioning responsible adult? He is a functioning responsible adult in spite of his drug use. <laughs> in spite of his drug use, Jesus Christ, you're still lying to yourself, woman. No, not not much, not much, Mary, not much. Well, so how what's what's the age range age range of your children? Now, which which one is uh, which one uh, gets high? The, uh, the third one, the boy, the one boy. The rest are girls. Oh, well, do you think the girls are telling you the truth? Yes, I do. Do they have children? Yes, they do. Are they lying to them? They probably will. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we're laughing, but you know, that's not really funny. I mean, if you keep perpetuating untruths. You shouldn't bitch about the way things turn out. I mean, what? Well, their kids, 
Why, why were you afraid to tell your children the truth? I didn't find out the truth until I was older. Well, the truth, you, you saw the truth in your own experimentation. You saw that smoking pot didn't make you crazy or jump off a bridge, right? Yeah. It was okay for mom, but not for the kids. Three times. Well, did you ever tell that you did you ever tell your children of your own drug experiences when you were telling them about what they should and shouldn't be doing? You did. Now, did you, did you put your own drug experiences in a truthful light, or did you embellish, or did you make it sound worse than it is? No, I did not embellish. I didn't uh, lie. I told them the truth. That I tried it three times, and that I didn't um, care too much for it, but that it didn't make me jump out of the building like my parents had told me that it would. But then you, then you moved on to heroin, though, didn't you? No, I didn't. <laughs> Well, let me ask you, uh, since you took the time to call in and, and uh, get a free copy of my, of my book, The Naked Truth About Drugs, tell me, what do you think, with, all, with your experiences now, what do you think parents should be telling their children? And if you had to do it all over again, would you, would you tell the same lies? That's a good question. That's the kind we like to ask here inside the Opium Den. Well, of course you would rather they don't use anything until they're old enough to make responsible decisions, but given the fact that, you know, abstinence is a a very uh, unpopular choice, let's put it that way, don't you feel that parents should prepare their children by telling them the truth and Well, there are horror stories out there, just as there are horror stories with with alcohol. You don't want to sugarcoat the truth. You want to you want to tell the truth plain and simple. Well, let me ask you this then. Do you think drugs should still be illegal? Which ones? So you think that those drugs should be taken out of the, 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 uh, the medical community as well because fentanyl, Dilaudid, things like that are essentially heroin and uh, dentists and rhinoplastic plastic surgeons use cocaine, so you think they should? Those drugs are bad enough to be taken out of the medical community that no one should be allowed to have them, either medicinally or recreationally.
Well, most people think think those are are the bad drugs, I guess. And uh, heroin is not a a recreational drug by any standard, in my in my opinion. Although it can be used recreational recreationally, and and cocaine, I don't think is as dangerous as uh, as we're led on to believe. I mean, they're both addictive uh, substances, without question. But the addiction to these substances is. Uh, the, the population is relatively small. So since we, since we can't, I have another question for you. Since we, we're not able to eliminate drugs from the planet, I mean, that's virtually impossible. It's proven to be impossible. Do you think a better setting would be if these drugs, if these drugs were available at the pharmacy and things of that nature, we, be, we, would, be, we would be better off, or do you think we should still fight the drug war? And replace it with what? Well, if you if you think we should end the drug war, what do you think we should replace it with? But if you don't think heroin or cocaine should be legal, you think we should still fight the war against those drugs and, and continue to lose? Yes, yes I do. <laughs> you do. Yes, I do. Well, how do you, how do you think that war is going right now? I mean, what what more can we do to stop heroin and cocaine? I mean, really, what what do you think can be done? Yeah, but the black market in heroin and cocaine would still exist, and that's the most violent that's the most violent aspect of the drug war. So we would still have, you know, high crime rates and high violence rates. If we uh, if we kept if we tried to keep prohibiting cocaine and, and heroin, I mean, what do you think about that? You don't think people would would quit doing heroin and cocaine if they could buy pot and things like that uh, legally, do you? So we'd still have the problem, right? And you think putting you think putting people in jail and and and, and shooting them is the proper response to the problem? What's my answer to my own question? Well, I think I think we should repeal drug prohibition and replace it with a regulated marketplace to control the sale and distribution of these substances, very similar to what we do now with alcohol and tobacco, especially cocaine and heroin, because those two drugs represent the the, the most violence. And and the uh, and, and the most uh, problems to society because they are prohibited and the people who use them must deal with the criminal element and always place themselves at risk at the point of acquisition of these drugs and their second greatest risk is because um, risk of, ac- of acquisition means arrest and they're say the second greatest risk is doing drugs of unknown purity you have you have. Uh, most of your overdoses are, are most of your drug overdoses are accidental because the purity levels tend to fluctuate and and uh, especially heroin addicts they have no idea what the uh, what the potency level is so if one week they're doing you know 30% pure the next week they're buying 60% pure they're going to be shooting up the same amount and there's where your problem comes in of accidental overdose if they were able to purchase these drugs from Walgreens and CVS, they would know the exact 
dose. They would know the exact purity range, and they would uh, they would eliminate the two greatest risks: the risk of acquisition and the risk of use. And you know, obviously, uh, would no longer uh, be arrested. Do you think that jail is the best place for an addict? Well, then why would you say keep fighting the war against heroin and cocaine? It doesn't make any sense. Small town women are all the same. <laughs> oh well, I you do, huh? Well, maybe did you pay for it? Oh well, that's right. This is Mary Tyler. I keep forgetting. Well, I've known you for a number of years, but we never really talked about drugs and your kids and the like. So, I'm glad you decided to listen and uh, and call in. <laughs> well, it certainly has, Mary Tyler. I appreciate uh, I appreciate you calling. Now you uh, you stick to the truth. Now, what about what about your one one last thing? What about your your friends? What do they tell their kids? I mean, you've got friends your age. I'm pretty sure. I mean, you still have the capability to have friends. What? What do you, what do you, what do your what do your your peers tell their children? Are you are you all in the same liar's boat? I think that in the, the friends that I have, yes, they they they're all liars. And it makes the parents so stressed out they go take a Xanax. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Who does it? You mean drugs, not sex? Yeah. Sex. Okay, drugs. <laughs> and they're throwing a little rock and roll and we got a party. <laughs> Well, okay, Mary Tyler, I appreciate you calling in and, and sharing your thoughts. I, like I said, I've known you for a while, and we've never really talked about our, our kids and, and drugs, so I appreciate you, uh, you calling in and sharing your, your stories, you well, lion mother. A <laughs> lion mother. <laughs> okay, Mary Tyler, see you later, hon. Okay. Bye. Well, there you go. Blast from the past. Not so much the blast from a distant past, but uh, that was a young lady. Her, her name, uh, her nom de plume is Mary Tyler because growing up, uh, she looked like Mary Tyler Moore, so we nicknamed her Mary Tyler. And uh, a friend of my sister, uh, growing up, and uh, hadn't seen uh, Mary Tyler in a long time and ran into her over the weekend. And... Uh, her son is an aspiring uh, musician. He's very good. Um, EstherCaulfield.org is her son's uh, music website. Esther, like Esther Williams, and 
Caulfield is Caulfield, C-A-U-L-F-I-E-L-D, Esther Caulfield.org. He's a, he's a good musician. And I'm assuming he's the one of the four that, uh, that gets high. Well, it was good talking to you, Mary Tyler, and uh, maybe uh, we'll see more of you next time. But good to see you back in the, in the circle, so to speak. So if you've got a, if you've got a story out that, uh, that you'd like to share with the Opium Den about uh, what your parents told you about drugs, give us a call, 727 493 2205 and we'll put you on the air and for calling in and sharing we'll see to it that you get a free copy of my book the naked truth about drugs and by the way you can read the uh, the author's preface the entire author's preface to my book uh, free just by going to my website uh, theopiumden.net click on the icon of my book in the left column and you can read the entire author's preface uh, for free it's kind of like the introduction and if you like what you read, uh, you can buy individual chapters of my book for 99 cents each. Each chapter uh, details uh, one drug or one particular class of drugs. It talks about the history, how prohibition of those drugs came around, and my own personal experience with those drugs. So go to the website, click on the book icon, and read the author's preface for free. If you like it, you can buy a particular chapter if you want to know more about LSD or cocaine or MDMA or any of the other drugs out there. You can click on and buy that particular chapter for uh, 99 cents, download it, and there you have it. <clears throat> or you can buy the whole book uh, for 19.95. First editions are still available, and we'd be glad to, uh, to send that book out to you. Now, with regards to uh, what parents tell their children about drugs... Uh, my experience with my son, who is uh, now 30 years old, lives out in the Pacific Northwest. I spoke to him uh, at uh, the earliest age I thought was appropriate for him to understand the uh, uh, the perils of uh, perils and pleasures. I should add the perils and pleasures of drugs. Uh, I was kind of forced into those. Uh, whoops! What the hell was that? kind of forced into those conversations because I was arrested uh, back in uh, 1971 and again in 1972 for the possession of drugs. So it became a, an open topic inside of my family. And I vowed that, uh, well, actually, I thought back then that uh, it was such a stupid law that it would change by the time my children were old enough to uh, be imperiled by it and uh, silly me, I was wrong. So uh, as my son uh, got to the age of, of understanding, I, I sat down with him and told him what I believed to be true about drugs. I didn't tell him not to do them uh, because just say no uh, doesn't work. But I did tell my son that it would be advantageous to wait as long as possible uh, before experimenting with any drugs, and that included alcohol. Uh, because the brain uh, research has shown that the brain is not fully formed until your uh, late, late teens or early 20s. So prior to that is not a good time to use any type of intoxicants uh, while the brain is still uh, in its formative stages. Well, Bahama, our sweet 9-year-old lab, our 9-year-old, 12-year-old lab, what am I saying? 12-year-old lab. Uh, she's so pretty, she looks younger. 
but uh, she just walked into the uh, to the studio and plopped down in front of me. She's non-medicated tonight uh, because we have no storms out there. So, hello, Bahama girl, you sweetie pie. Yes. So anyway, I told my son uh, what I believed to be the truth, and uh, again, I didn't uh, tell him not to do them, but I told him uh, he's not going to miss out on anything if he waits uh, till he's older. Same thing with about about uh, having sex. I didn't preach abstinence. I just preached uh, patience and caution because everybody, young children, young young people want to, you know, seem to get it over with as as quickly as possible so they can. Uh, Put that notch on their on their gun, so to speak. But uh, I told my son that the longer he would wait, the better off he would be, and he certainly wasn't going to miss anything in those early years of, uh, of peer pressure from other kids. And it worked out. Uh, I think it worked out fairly well. Um, telling my son the truth, that is. Uh, like I said, he's 30 years old, and. Uh, He's a fairly sober individual. He uh, he likes to have a couple of drinks. He'll smoke a little pot every now and then. And I believe he has uh, tried a hallucinogen or two. But uh, for the most part, uh, he understands these drugs and was never never felt uh, hard uh, peer pressure to try them. And I'm I hope that uh, my talking to him at the earliest stages of his development in that area. That that uh, that had, had some uh, had some merit. So he's a college graduate, wants to be uh, an art teacher. He's got a degree in uh, from a beautiful, uh, excellent school out in the Pacific Northwest. He doesn't want me to say the name of the school or say his name because, you know, he's like most kids. <laughs> he thinks his parents are an, are assholes. So I won't uh, I won't offend him by naming him and where he goes to school. But he. It's a, it's a fairly prestigious art school, out there, four-year art school. And uh, he would like to uh, get his master's and return to that school and teach. But the point that I'm making here is that uh, it's imperative that uh, you tell the truth to your children about drugs. And as I was watching the parade and, and celebrating with, with, the, with my friends, and the, you know, and their kids were around, and they were drinking it up and hooting it up and having lots of food and showing their children that that type of, of celebration, you know, can, can be managed properly. But then they would sneak into the, out to the back porch or into the, one of the rooms upstairs to, to smoke pot. And they didn't feel that they could justify that to, to their kids while they smoke pot clandestinely and speak openly to their children about not doing drugs. I find that to be, uh, to be hypocritical. And especially, I mean, these kids are 15 and 16, and they're seeing their parents get get pretty wasted on booze, and they're sitting there, and they're shaking their head thinking, Jesus, why don't they just smoke pot? And uh, since their parents do smoke pot, I think the example that they play, that they give to their children of openly consuming alcohol, you know, getting a little drunk and happy, um, works against the uh, the overall message, especially if they just, you know... if they say don't do drugs of any kind, and they look, and the kids look at their parents and go, "Well, you know, you're drunk." <laughs> doesn't uh, doesn't uh, doesn't compute to young children, and it's very difficult. Uh, I understand it's very difficult to talk to your children about drugs, especially 
your own past drug use or even your current drug use. Um, why you would think it's okay and it's not hurting you, why you would think that you're special or better or different than, uh, than your children, that they would have a, a negative experience with drugs when your experience has been the opposite. So it is important to tell your children uh, the truth about drugs. And a good way to, to, to start that is to get a copy of my book, The Naked Truth About Drugs, because that will inform you and allow you to speak more openly and more honestly and more factually uh, to your children about drugs. So again, if you've got a, a story to tell, give us a call, 727-493-2205. We'll put you on the radio. And for taking the time to give us a call, we'll see to it that you get a free copy of my book, uh, The Naked Truth About Drugs. So again, as I was up uh, watching the parade, watching all these uh, uh, young young kids having a, having a grand time on the 4th of July, I couldn't help but feel a little sad that a certain number of them would grow up and be, uh, be arrested for, for the possession of uh, more than likely marijuana, but for the possession of drugs. And I was just wondering, as all these kids walked by with their parents with, you know, beers in their hands and the like, I just wondered how many parents would would bail on the responsibility to tell their truth, tell the truth to their children about about certain substances. Uh, I go, well, I got an email coming in here. Let's take a look at that. Um, let's see here. Oh my Christ, you're, uh, well, Brian, our conscientious listener has called in to say my volume was at least 10 times louder than, than the caller. Well, I tell you what, um, sorry about that. Uh, I don't know what to, what to say. We had the, we had the guy, we had the, uh, the guru in and, uh, Thought we might have had uh, had that fixed, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go over here to the Skype machine and see if I can make a quick fix. So if I can remember what I was supposed to do here. Come on, come up on the screen. So let's see here. We'll go to tools and we'll go to options uh, and we'll go to um, audio settings. And uh, let's just crank this volume up a little bit and see if that helps. Okay, well, we'll only, we'll only know if that helps uh, if we get a if we get another call in. And if you're out there, uh, if you're out there listening, Brian, give us a jingle, and uh, we'll see if that little technical upgrade fixed it off. I'm not, you know, Brian, you call in all the time, and I'm not sure if you have children or not, so. If you got kids, call me and tell me what you told them. And if you don't have kids, call me and tell you what your parents told you because I think we're about the same age. So again, uh, give us a call, 727-493-2205 if you have a story to tell about what your parents told you about drugs or if you're a parent, call in and tell us what you're telling uh, your children about drugs. It's an important, uh, it's a very important discussion to have. And there are too many parents out there who abdicate their responsibility and continue to do what our caller, Mary Tyler, did do uh, with her children, perpetuate the myth of prohibition 
and uh, uh, drug and, and, and the idea that all drug use is, is bad. So if you're out there listening and don't have children, think about that uh, when you do, because unfortunately uh, drugs will still probably be prohibited uh, when your kids, uh, when your kids get older. <clears throat> Excuse me, that is if the pace of drug policy reform continues at its uh, glacial pace uh, in, in the coming years. But um, like I said, uh, my parents, uh, let, me, let me tell you about my parents. Uh, my father, uh, what my parents told me, my father was a, was a Nixon man. And for all of you who are too young out there, uh, President Richard Milhouse Nixon, uh, paranoid alcoholic that we elected president. Uh, and then forced uh, forced him to resign. Uh, my father was a staunch Nixon supporter, and he believed, uh, as most did at that time, that you ought to just take the hip take all the hippies out and and shoot them. That'll <laughs> that'll fix the fucking problem. So that was my father's position, and um, quite honestly, uh, they didn't have much of a drug talk uh, with me. Um, my, I used to, you know, my, I didn't, I didn't smoke pot until I was 20 years old. I didn't try any drugs until then, and I wasn't a drinker. So I remember watching the news with my dad during all the protests during the 60s and Timothy Leary, and he was very, very, uh, well, you know, I call it, he's a Nixon man, so I don't really need to to, to say much more than that. But uh, Richard Nixon was the one that started the drug war, and. Holy Hello there. Hey, Daniel. How are you, man? Whoa, man. I'm doing fine. You are way loud. Hold on a second here. I think I figured out how to fix the problem. Hey, all this technical, magical stuff, I don't get it. I don't get it either. That's, that's why I got the guy here. Hold on a second. No problem. I think I got you a little too loud here. Okay, try again. Talk to me, Brian. All right, I'm here. Okay, that's a little better. That's a little better. Hey, nobody cares if you can hear it. It's the people out there that matter. Yeah, I know, man. What the, what the fuck am I good for? You know, I just like the buttons <laughs> up and, you know, talk shit. So how was your fourth, Brian? Pretty damn good, man. Had a uh, going away party at a uh, friend's house. She's moving away to North Carolina to do some crazy shit, so they had a combined, uh, well, you know, basic Fourth of July party, going away party for her. So that was fun, and then... Uh, Any drug activity? <laughs> um, uh, no, Your Honor. <laughs> no, I don't use drugs. No, no, that's my story. <laughs> well, speaking of well, stories, what... Did, what uh, you're, you're, we're about the same age. I think I got a couple of years on you, so your parents were around uh, this, you know, my parents' age, and you were doing the same shit I was probably doing at that age. So what did your parents tell you about drugs? And second, uh, my, my parents were horrible people, man. They were a bad example for everybody. If anybody out there is listening, they're the kind of parents you don't want to be. Basically, their take on everything was, if I have any questions, all I need to do is ask them. If I don't ask, it doesn't matter, apparently. 
So, you know, I mean, it was like so they, do, they, the dodged, they dodged the bullet. Is that what you're saying? You didn't ask, so they didn't tell the well, don't ask, don't tell version of the early days. Yeah, basically, that's fine. Uh, but I learned everything I needed to know about drugs by being part of the uh, school principal's uh, drug awareness campaign. Uh, I got nominated as a student representative to that body. And once I found out all the crap that they had to say about the drugs, I couldn't wait to try them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, it, 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 I guess I'm that way in a lot of regards. I'm an experimental person. Uh, but I believe that a lot of what goes on with any of that kind of stuff uh, is exacerbated by, by our uh, turning it into magical things that is not and hiding things, et cetera. I mean, you know, you're, you're right on the money with your book. You, the, the, the real thing to do is tell people the truth and say, look, you know, this stuff uh, is good. It's fun. And, and it, it, because of that can lend itself toward abuse, and there are various and sundry problems. Certain of the drugs truly are more dangerous than others and should be avoided and naturally will be avoided by most people because most people don't want to die or get sick or, or anything else. Well, do you have, do you uh, have children, Brian? Uh, not anymore. I mean, that, that's one of the strange tragedies in life is that my ability to make that decision was taken away from me long before I had that opportunity by a couple of cars. And uh, my only child was killed while he was out riding a bicycle, hit by one car and run over by another. Uh, I'm so sorry. I thought it I'm might sorry be a good idea. That, Brian. I didn't. I well, wasn't aware. I, I, I apologize for asking the question. I wasn't aware. That oh, it's okay, man. It's just one of those things that happened a very, very long time ago. I mean, 20 years, almost 20 years ago. And it's a horrible, horrible thing, and I, I would never wish it on anybody. And I fully get it when somebody loses a child to some craziness like you know, drug overdose or what have you. Uh, but I think it's an important thing to recognize that even though the, the people who suffer through that kind of an event have, have a huge trauma that they have to deal with in life, the reality is that it, it doesn't really happen that frequently to that many people. But what about what what about what about your friends? What do they tell their children? Do you, do you get frustrated when your friends, or do they? Uh, most of them are screwed because of all the dare bullshit. I mean, they're they're getting to the kids as young as they possibly can, and that's been the game plan for quite some time. And I mean, realistically, they're they're getting exposed to that shit in school long before a responsible parent would try to address it. So by the time the parents are getting around to it, it's like the the seeds of you know, all the horror stories and shit have already been planted and how do they go about it and yeah they get high and they have to hide it I mean realistically they have to hide it because if they don't they run the risk that they're going to get turned in by their own children to, to some party figure somewhere that's going to get them arrested it's absurd yeah, and horrifying and communist <laughs> yeah. pinko shit well you know I, I, I have I have good. I, mean, I have some friends. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a complete loser, but uh, <laughs> so, of course that can be debated probably very earnestly. But we'll not get there tonight. So, I've had. I've, I've watched my friends with children over the years, and 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 you know, most of my friends are responsible adults. You know, they're property owners, have good jobs, they like to get high, and I've watched my, my these friends over the years just lie through their teeth to their children, and it's like. I, I just I just don't get it, and and some of them, the kids, know they're lying. I mean, it's one of those deals. Like, the parent, I think the parents know the kids know they're lying, but the parents just can't tell the truth, and the kids look at them like, you know, quit lying to us. And then as the years move on, and they get past that awkward stage, and 
and, and, and kids experiment on their own. And then later, the, you know, many of these parents that I know <clears throat> get, uh, you know, get high with their, uh, with their adult children. And then they have a big laugh about it, and, and uh, it, it, just, it, it, just, it just aggravates the shit out of me that, that people are so intimidated uh, and, 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 and browbeat by years of, of drug prohibition that they maybe they secretly think they are losers and don't want to talk to their kids and tell them the truth. I don't know, but it's frustrated me all my adult life where my friends just don't tell the truth to their children. Well, I agree, but you know the big. So I do. <laughs> I tell them. <laughs> well, somebody has to be the bad uncle. That's right. <laughs> That's my job too. I like it. I tell everybody all the time. Look, I am not an example of anything uh, other than standing up for truth. I mean, like I'm with you 100. percent The reality on this stuff is that in a, in a post legalization world. Uh, we'll be able to normalize the relationships between parents and their children in that regard, and, and the parents will be able to take active control of educating their children on the pros and cons of drugs. Um, just, you know, I mean, one of the things that, that is a horrible thing that happened with alcohol is that parents were taken out of the equation again when they boosted the age back up to uh, 21. Uh, and in, in the United States, it, it's extraordinarily silly of, of us the way we deal with the alcohol laws anyway. Uh, they passed it down to 18 for a while. I was lucky enough to be in that group of people that were able to legally drink at 18. Uh, and then they boosted it back up to 21, as everyone knows. But over in Europe and other countries in the world where they're a little more enlightened about it and, and they don't have the puritanical mindset, uh, alcohol use is allowed to be a normal part of society. And drug use in general should be regarded as a normal part of society. There's nothing inherently horrible and, and wrong about using various drugs. So until we get to the point in time where in our society we're recognizing that, it's going to remain extremely difficult to be able to talk to your children about the, the pros and cons and proper use of drugs. The brave people will do it, uh, but every one of us has to be cognizant of the notion that you're running the risk because especially very young children who are trained to obey authority, and it's getting worse year by year, um, you know, they'll be innocently sucked in by somebody that wants to get that and, you know, knock you out. So, hell yeah, it's going to be really hard to tell your kids that you get high and, and teach them anything correct about it. I mean, I, I, I would hope that I would be smart enough to do it. And had I had the opportunity around the time my son was uh, late 15, early 16 time frame is when I would broach the topic. And really how I would lay it out is that, uh, you know, I know you're going to do this. I did it. Everybody does it. And there's nothing wrong. I don't have a problem with that. What I have an issue with is that here are the negative consequences that can occur if you get caught doing it, you know, <laughs> like, which are way worse than the consequences of the activity itself. Yeah, g g getting, caught is, getting caught is the worst uh, outcome of, of drug Absolutely. use. Absolutely, and, and, and that's the biggest thing we really got to get a grip on and, and make it possible for, for normality and, and sanity to reign in this. You know, we've been under the gun on this stuff for way too long, as you know. You know, I've been doing all this research to point out to people how long this shit has actually been going on. And in your honor, I've got a couple of great clippings from the past. <laughs> I knew we'd get that. there. I knew we'd get there. <laughs> Well, you have to. I mean, it's, it's part of the education process to expose people to these uh, you know, earlier stories and, and let them know, hey, you know, this is where this really came from. This wasn't started by Richard Nixon. He threw gas on the fire, but the embers were smoldering the entire time. 
you know, all through the 40s and 50s and up into the hippie era, you know, quote-unquote, in the uh, you know, mid, early to mid-60s onward, uh, the, mul- the embers of this stuff were out there. There were still people getting busted. There were still uh, clandestine marijuana groves that were being uprooted. Not wild stuff, you know, tended stuff. And there would be stories about it, but it was a little bit more low-key. Uh, so, you know, to, to get people exposed to all of this information is important, too. And that will yeah, make you, it easier to direct to the truth. You're exactly right. From, from the Harrison Narcotics Act of 1914 through the, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, there was a very, very much prosecution going on. You know, Robert Mitchum, all the Hollywood stars and the like. But it really was Nixon that, as you said, put the poured gas on the flame there. But... And the yeah. like, the, em- the embers were glowing, but he uh, he he lit the fucker up. Yeah, it was. I think it was Elvis's idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that crazy fucker. <laughs> you know, getting his deputy badge high high on fucking amphetamines in the Oval Office with Richard Nixon getting his FBI badge and shit. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm help- I'm helping you find drugs, baby. That's right. <laughs> 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 So what what did you say you had a couple of uh historical archival yeah, me, things for us tonight? I do. That thing's a beast. I, mean, I, I need no, it, Brian. I, I I I drove straight through from Ohio. Uh, I left at eight o'clock Wednesday morning and uh got in uh one thirty this morning and really haven't had that much sleep, so I'm I'm never really on my game, but tonight I'm a little more off my game, so Fill in for me, buddy. Just just take it and run with it. I feel your pain, and I've been in that boat on the long drive back to Ohio myself. Um, for me, it was always from Jersey. Well, what I did is I, I pulled some of the articles from my really super old archives uh, in honor of your birthday, which was a couple of weeks ago, uh, June 23rd. Yes, it was. Thank so you. here are some of the articles I pulled. I, I, pulled I, ne- load I never got a fucking card, though, man. Uh, well, you know, money's tight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And they're raising the cost of postage again. Jeez. I know, man. What do you know? All right. So uh, let's see. They're referring. This is a uh, letter to the editor, and they're referring to an article earlier from uh, uh, about a week before this particular article from June twenty third. Uh, In the Times of the sixteenth, under the head of opium eating, you remark about the year eighteen thirty nine when all England was jubilant with temperance festivals and societies, and the arts of philanthropists were. The philanthropists were gladdened with the hopes of the reign of sobriety. It was suddenly discovered that the poorer classes were becoming frightfully addicted to the use of opium and that they had forsaken their old vice only to take up one still more destructive. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, gay, okay, we're one, temperance, we no more alcohol. Oh, crap, they're all smoking opium. And we're not, and, uh, and since we can't get drunk, you ain't getting no pussy. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, that's no good. <laughs> that's what those ladies, temperance ladies, man, I'll tell you, they were a frustrating bunch. A frustrating bunch. Oh, yeah, bunch. absolutely. Yeah, but, oh, man, they were ugly, too. There were some really ugly pictures of the people. Well, they all get uh, prettier at closing time, they say. Well, see, it's one of the dangers of alcohol. Young people, I'm here to help you understand. One of the primary dangers with alcohol is that it makes you stupid. The more you drink, the more stupid you become. The more stupid you become, the more you drink. Everybody's beautiful at a certain point in time. Right at closing time. So hit us up with another, right. hit us with another one here. 
Okay, well, the, I'm sorry, man, the closing sentence on the prior one. Strong oh. drink, tobacco, and opium are doubtless the three agents which do more to destroy the human race than all other causes united. Well, I would argue that religion and <laughs> right. greed and power are too bad. What the hell? All right, here's uh, a good one. Op- and opium, from, opium's got nothing over the Pope, man, that motherfucker. He's, sure. Okay, what's the other one? And that one was from 1855. 1855, Jesus Christ. Yeah, this one is from 1883, and this is hysterical, man, hilarious. June 23rd, 1883, Los Angeles Times. The headline is, Opium Stored in the San Francisco Bank Vaults. Uh, Chinese Chinese opium importers have no more room in their own business places for the large quantities of the drug which are now being imported. They are storing it in the vaults of banks where they believe will be safe from fire and pilfering which danger they fear were it stored in public warehouses. It is considered the best of collateral security by the banks, and importers have no trouble in borrowing almost the full value on the opium so stored. <laughs> there you go, man. I'd like the deposit of a couple of kilos of opium. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, sir. No follow problem, me. sir. Follow, follow <laughs> me. Well, speaking of, speaking of letters to, to the editor, he said, I had a letter published in the New York Times Sunday. I saw that, dude. That's great. Yeah. That's was, awesome. Yeah, I, was, I thought that was pretty cool. You know, now I've been published in the Wall Street Journal, now the New York Times, in my local paper. But uh, did you see the article, Capitalism and Cannabis, that the New York Times ran that I, I responded to? Did you happen to read that article? I think it did, but it was like a week ago or so, more. Yeah, it was two. It was actually, my letter appeared on on uh, this past Sunday, so it was a week prior right. to that when the, when the article was written. And there were, there were two letters in, re, in response to that that they published. Uh, they published mine, which was by far the better of the two. But the, awesome. other, the other one was longer, and it was obviously, uh, not obviously, but it was written by uh, Herbert, uh, Herbert D. Uh, Kleber. Uh, MD out of Manhattan. He's a professor of psychiatry, and here's a here's a clue: a director of the division on substance abuse at Columbia University. Okay. Yeah, and he was he was uh, obviously taking. I yeah, wanted Joe Califano's buddies. Yeah, exactly. Butt buddies with uh, Joe Califano. But my my letter was more succinct, more to the point, and I thought uh, actually a better one. So I was pretty happy to get the letter. Uh, oh, damn straight, man, and that's one of the ones I haven't made it into yet, which pisses me off, because I've been in newspapers all over the damn place, and I haven't made one into the Times yet, so, son of a bitch, happy birthday. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, the, and here's the, yeah, really, the, inter- the interesting thing is, you know, I write the letter, I, I send it off, and then uh, Dan Coleman, who's their letters editor or whatever, gives me a call and said, you know, we'd like to print your letter, and I said, well, that's great, he goes, we're going to, we're going to, Edited, edited a little bit, and I said, well, you know, yeah. what, whatever you want to do. So actually, he said the exact same things that my letter said, and, and virtually word for word, but he made, uh, he made a couple of embellishments, but I didn't, I didn't, I found one other time that if they call you and tell you they want to print your letter and you don't agree to their editing, you're fucked. So I said, whatever you want to do, man, just, just don't make me look bad any, any more dumb than I yeah. am. So they, they did a little editing, and... Uh, publish it so i was pretty happy about that that's been my experience too so i recommend that for everybody if they're calling you and say they want to run it with a couple of edits let them do it yeah because nine times out of ten i mean i've not had a bad experience yet with somebody with their edit they they you know they said it different and, and a little crappier than i would have and i thought my version was better or whatever 
but the gist of it remains, so that's the point, to get yeah, the message out. I tend to write in a little more gonzo style, and they tend to write in the uptight New York Times. And I did experience it with one time with Time Magazine. I, had, I, they, I wrote a letter, and they wanted to publish it, but they wanted to edit it, and I told them to go fuck themselves. And they said, well, good luck. <laughs> so, hey, you dumbass. So, you know, I, yeah, you I learn from experience. Yeah, though. you learn from experience. I said, okay, man, if you want to you know, do whatever you want, man, I'm just, I'm just a dumb old country boy that I thought I'd write in. If you want to make me look smarter than I really am, have at it. And they did, and it got published, so I was, I was a happy camper. I'm in the uh, same thing with the drug camp on that one. You know, it's like in terms of like getting a letter to the editor published, don't say no. I mean, yeah. Don't say no. Same with drugs. Don't say no. <laughs> you know, you could try to say no, but it ain't gonna work. You know, it's gonna backfire. <laughs> well, but if, they, if the drugs aren't any good, say no, thank you. <laughs> oh hell yeah, man! Of course, you always turn them down if they're shitty. So like, oh, <laughs> I've got my own. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, All right. Here's thank a, you much. Yeah. What you got? Uh, here's a funny one. Now, this one wasn't from your birthday, but I came across this when I was doing something else. I mean, it's like serendipitous because I had it in my longer-term older files. This one's from uh, January 20th, 1929, uh, out of the LA Times again. The headline is The Narcotic Bogey. Narcotic Week will soon be upon us again. We're wait, going wait, to wait, 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 wait. Narcotic Week? Yep. Yeah, that- it's kind of like exactly what goes on now. I mean, where they have like drug awareness. Oh, I thought it, I thought it was like they were going to be on sale or something. You know, uh, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> and I'm like, this week only two kilos of the finest opium. <laughs> Come to Sears. Two for one. Two for one. You get a washer for half off. <laughs> right. Buy a washer and a dryer. We'll throw in a kilo of opium. What the fuck? <sighs> Anyway, uh, Narcotic Week will soon be upon us again. We're going to be told loudly and lengthily that the United States is a drug addict nation. Horror upon horror is to be poured into our ears. We're going to be assured that our school children are turning drug addict by the hundreds of thousands throughout the country, and we're going to be asked to subscribe countless thousands to further the campaign against it. Well, now it's billions. Uh, frightful figures will be offered to shock us. If we believe them, every responsible citizen among us should suffer hideous nightmares and hang our heads in shame for our country's degradation. If, as here hitherto, the speakers invade the schools, our small children will be coming home asking us most interestedly, what are narcotics? Why do people take them? And have their interest wedded in a mysterious verboten which they are quite likely to wish to experiment with themselves as bright children often do in such cases. Oh, like, God, you're you killing me, man. You're, fuck, up, you're man. killing me. You're fucking killing me. 1929, <laughs> just yep. just when this shit's about to hit the fan, they're, they're worried about Narcotics Week. Oh, fuck. Well, I mean, but... Some things parallels. never change, man. Some things never change. And that, to me, is one of the key pieces, right? Here's the data, here's the historic shit, and here are the normal drug users, which, you know, we're still, like, looking around, and I see you, I see me, uh, kind of like, not a whole lot of us out of here, man. <laughs> like, get lonely. Come on, people, stand up. <laughs> Raise your hand just a little bit. Yeah, it's the missing element. I mean, the, the reality is that with 26 million, you know, past year uh, pot smokers, oh, come on, man, that, that's, a, that's a big crowd to hide in, so... Stand up. You know, you know we'll I had uh, speaking of standing up in the crowd and the like. I, Jeffrey Myron was my guest uh, a couple of weeks ago. God, the show is great. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You did. And his volume was a little bit. I think I've got it figured out now. But anyway, we were talking about how we both believed that if the Republicans had any fucking sense at all, they would take this issue, run with it, and get the 
get the get the young people on, on their side. And that is now, correct. Yeah, and they had the best chance of doing it in in a like return to principles kind of a campaign. It would work totally because that is you know everything that they're alleged to stand for. Uh, the drug war is the opposite of, and they should be screaming louder than anybody about this stuff. Well, Gary Johnson, the former two-term Republican governor of New Mexico, he's positioning himself to be a candidate for 2012 on the Republican side, and he's going to make the issue of legalizing marijuana his his uh, his main deal. Now, back when he, yeah, was gov- when he was governor, he was all for ending the drug war across the board, but now that he's got a fit into a little tighter Republican suit, he's uh, backed off of that, and he's just going to use the marijuana issue. And he's going to get a lot of recognition. He's going to do similar to what Ron Paul did as far as engaging in uh, the young people and, and raising money. He's not going to get the Republican nomination in 2012. But he's going to use that platform to to politicize his views on drugs. And when he loses the nomination, he's going to run as an independent and all of us libertarians are going to be standing there with our with our dick in our hands, going, "Well, how the fuck? Why did you know? Why didn't we do that?" And that's <laughs> yeah, why didn't you come help us? Yeah. yeah, you know, that's what I've been telling the libertarians for the past uh, three years. You know, get our fucking shit together on this. We sh- we should own this issue, lock, stock, and barrel. And we're just on the precipice of giving it away to uh, to the Republicans, all fucking people. Well, it, it agreed, and, and the key on it is to get the average person willing to talk about it and, and listen and, and throwing their support behind people who are willing to do the right thing. The problem I have with Gary Johnson is that he's willing to almost do the right thing, and that's not right. I mean, one of the things you brought up when you were talking with Mary was that, hey, if you just legalize marijuana, you still have all this crazy shit going on in Mexico. You still have all this horrendous uh, negative impact everywhere in society and around the globe for having the other substances illegal, and there's no more justification for them to be illegal than there is for pot to be illegal. I mean, realistically, my my vote is being reserved for the, the leader, the leader who will stand up and say, hey, you know what, here, I've done the math, we're out of our fucking minds, this is what we got to do instead. That's the guy who's getting my vote. I don't give a shit what the hell public or party they're from or whatever. Hello, if you'll stand up and do the right thing, or I can tell, holy shit, here's a leader. Leadership is a tough job, uh, and part of that is the willingness to stand up for what is right, regardless. Yeah, and let the well, that's what fall that's what Obama's do. doing, isn't he? I mean, he's, he, he's that's what he's uh, doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, him and, uh, uh, what's his face, uh, shit, I can't remember the guy's name now, man, it's like DPA boss, man, uh, Ethan Nadelman. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's how insignificant he's become in my world. It's like, <laughs> holy crap, these people who are useless and spineless, they're not leaders, they're, they're politicians, they're sticking their finger up in the air and figuring out what the hell way the wind is blowing and countdowning to whatever the hell interest they think are going to keep them in their positions, period. Anyway, um... As usual, we have a wonderful way of maneuvering all over the place because that's how big this problem is. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's got so many tangential areas yeah, to but go politically, to. The, the key politically is to make it safe for the politicians to go out there when they're touching the public pulse to find out that, you know what, the people out there are really screaming for this shit and it's time to get on board. So our job in reform is to get as many people as we can aware of all this shit and have them saying the right stuff. And the right stuff does not include tiptoeing around with medical marijuana or legal marijuana. 
It has to do with, holy fuck, this is a disastrous idea. It's been that way for a fucking long time. We've got to stop doing it now. You know, that's what we got to get people saying. And then the politicians will all jump to it. But shit, the Libertarian Party right now, with the confluence of events that are occurring and the number of people who are truly not happy about the the two-party you know, system that really does not represent much of America at all, realistically, they're all fed up with that. They're looking for a reason to say, you know what, fuck these people, we got to do something different. So whoever rises to the occasion, and it could be one of the two uh, powerful parties right now, but come on, smart money is that the Libertarian Party really could get their shit together. They really could champion this particular cause. But more importantly, champion the cause of equality itself in general, because that's what the big problem is in American culture. We talk about this shit. Oh, yeah, all men are created equal. Oh, let's let them chop some fireworks. Oh, yeah, you know what? We don't want you fuckers hanging around with us because, you know, you're different. Go on. Get out of here. You're yeah, gay. What, what, you smoke dope. Get away. You're what bad. Makes me, what makes me a little even crazier is that now that, you know, the NAACP, the California <laughs> NAACP endorsed the, the marijuana uh, law reform going on out there. And then the... Uh, then there's this other uh, black church coalition. They condemn the NAACP, NAACP uh, support for pot legalization. What, what, what's up with these black preachers and shit? Don't they, don't they read the paper? Don't they know that their constituency, the people that they speak to every Sunday, are disproportionately arrested more often than, than white people, but yet they, they continue to support the drug war? What, what the fuck is up with that? Well, a lot of that has to do with... Uh, uh, one of the main ways that you cure drug addicts right now, tried and true, is to make them get religion. So the guys who have the market on dragging addicts into religion really have a vested interest in them in a lot of different ways, too. And that the dollar will transcend the color of your skin. NAACP is absolutely doing the right thing. That you know, I don't even want to call it courageous because it's the right thing. It's the thing we're supposed to do. We're supposed to stand up for equal rights, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the guys that are doing the religious reaction to it, we really should be looking at it as a purely religious reaction. You know very well, as I do, that the drug war itself, all the way back to its very beginning roots, is religious in nature. So the religious people, the hardcore religious people especially, have a vested interest in the status quo. And, I mean, they're the ones driving the train on drug testing and dare and all that other crap, too. So... It's important to, to draw more attention, and it's hard, too, because we've, we've become so politically correct that we're not allowed to say anything that might in any way be construed as a denigrating remark about anything about anybody. We're not allowed to point out the bad guys when they're being bad. It's not religion that's bad. It's these religious nuts who are taking their religion to the extreme and trying to force it on other people. Maybe, maybe that's we what could, the problem is. Maybe we could make some money by printing some T-shirts that say, uh, Jesus is my opium. Oh, my God. That's a good one. Well, you know, that, you know <laughs> Karl Marx said that you know, religion was the opium. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think, yeah. you know, if that were only true, I think now organized religions become the crack cocaine of the masses. Well, kind of, and, you know, Cheech and Chang did a routine on that quite a while back. He was like, you know, before I was all messed up on drugs. Now I'm all messed up on religion. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happens, too. But, you know, I, I think that they're they're making a, uh, a lot of noise. But I think in the uh, in, in general terms in the population group out there in California specifically, 
I believe that most people are leaning more in the direction of the NAACP stand than in the direction of the religious fundamentalist guy. You think it's so, going to vote? You think the vote's going to the California voters will approve legalizing? No, that? I don't. I don't. I expect it to fail. I expect it to fail by a very small margin. And the reason I expect it to fail is because the proper uh, work is not still not being done to prepare people mentally uh, for pulling the trigger on on voting day. Ultimately, what matters is at the point in time when that person in the voting booth makes that decision, what is it that's on their mind? Is it the, the lifetime of propaganda? And that's exactly what it is, a lifetime. Or were you able to somehow crack through that to the extent that they are willing to act properly in, in, in regard to the issues and say, hey, you know what, we've got to stop this. So I don't see enough effort being expended in terms of, of how to make this the you've got to be shit me, there's no question about it decision. Well, I, I, I hope you're wrong, but I won't bet against you because I'm thinking <laughs> the same thing. I mean, you know, they got to get the young voters out to get this going, and I don't know, man. I mean, I, you know. Well, we saw this happen in the 70s. It's another yeah. reason why I don't expect it to go. And the same people are talking. The same people are saying the same shit. It's incredibly crazy. Um, oh, the, the uh, drug czar's new push on uh, the drug driving initiative. Oh, my God, that's another horrible thing that's going on right now that, that not enough attention is being paid to because they're doing this whole thing of, like, oh, boy, we'll get one medic one, one recreational marijuana state and then we'll all win. Woo-hoo! No, no, you won't because here comes the drug czar and the Obama health care plan, uh, which suggests that the way to cut money on health care costs is through prevention and treatment. And we'll extend that model into the drug abuse arena where we can now drug test everybody at any point in time when they come into contact with a medical professional. Like, holy fuck, man, and this, this is coming down the pike. And it's all based on bogus bullshit. And we're all distracted running around wondering, oh, boy, you know, what are they going to do in California? Would you think that, do you think the Obama health, to, to qualify for Obama's health care, you have to be drug-free? You are going to be drug tested for everything. What happens? What happens when you pa- what happens when you flunk? The government says you can't have government insurance. You got to go to the private market. But oops, wait a minute. There is no private market. Oh no! They'll probably force you into treatment. Oh, well, that's good luck with that shit. <laughs> well, I mean, the problem is that Ethan Needleman and people like him have been running out there saying, "Oh, you know, there's this big imbalance between supply interdiction and, and prevention and treatment." Well, we know that according to the Rand Institute study. Uh, every dollar spent on prevention and treatment is seven dollars in uh, judicial system costs, or whatever the hell the rate. And I think it is one to seven. Uh, so they've been pissing them on, and oh, you're not spending enough attention on prevention and treatment. Well, guess what they're going to do? They're going to focus on prevention and treatment. It says so on page one. And how do you prevent drug abuse? Well, you drug test everybody and see if they're doing drugs, and if they are, you put them in treatment. Holy crap! Uh, it's going to happen. Everything that you do that involves any government organization, and especially any health uh, professional, is going to involve drug testing. Oh, and just for your added convenience and entertainment, every routine traffic stop will also include a drug test. doesn't matter if you weren't driving erratically. We got you here. Here's a cotton swab. Let me have the sample. Boom. So it, it's it's going to get really ugly. I don't anticipate that California is going to work correctly simply because they, they, nobody's doing the, the right kind of uh, preparation work on the public at large. And they're talking about it in fairly straightforward, 
very factual kind of terms, in, you know, along the lines of like, well, you know, marijuana is easily available. I go, okay, so, uh, you know, whatever statements they're making are factually true, but they're not going to change the visceral emotion that is driving people's decision making when they get in there in the voting booth. So until we get to that, I'm not optimistic at all. And like I said, this is like watching a movie again. I've seen this happen before in the yeah. 70s. All right, now here's something really fun, and it ties back into what I was saying about how Can I smoke it or what? <laughs> um, not anymore, because oh. this was incinerated uh, shortly after you were born. This is another one of your happy birthday stories. This one came from the Chicago Trib, uh, June 23, 1955. So you were just a toddler, five years old, running right, around, aren't you cute? You probably had a sailor outfit. Okay. <laughs> this actually, one is, actually uh, I was in the hospital because I was a sick little fucker, but anyway, I get your meaning. <laughs> Come on, man, I have to have fun with you. Uh, all right, the headline on this one, it's only a short story. Marine flamethrowers destroy marijuana field. This is a war on drugs, people. Okay, this is a war. Make no mistake, 1955, they're using flamethrowers on marijuana. Marine reservists using flamethrowers yesterday destroyed a field of marijuana. The deputies of Sheriff Loman had found growing along the sanitary canal south of 87th Street. Lemon said the field, four miles long and 400 yards wide, (laughs) (laughs) contained marijuana with a potential value of $2 million and had not grown wild but had been planted by dope peddlers or addicts. All right, $2 million in $1955? That's a shitload of weed, my friend. 1955. Where was this? In California? No, in Chicago. Oh, in Chicago. Yeah, in Chicago. They don't have have much of a growing season. That must have been quite the operation. No, sir, they don't. So, hello, you know, this this, this didn't, you know, this has been going on for a very long time. So it's fun to find this kind of crap. And, and, you know, to me, here are the three prongs. The data that the government has been collecting that we can clearly use to our advantage. The historic stuff that has been going on for way longer than everybody realizes and contains the exact same elements way the hell back into time. And the third one is the people like you and me who will stand up and say, hey, you know what, I, I did these drugs and, well, I'm all right, I might have turned out a little fucked up, but in general I'm okay. And I didn't encounter all of the stereotypes, counter all of this crime. This, this is cultural mythology that we're fighting against. And it's going to take a lot of effort and a lot, a lot of time to change it. Well, maybe we should do what Steve Jobs suggests. What's that? Well, you know, the, Steve Jobs has, has gone on record as saying that LSD was one of the three most important things. Doing oh, LSD, yeah. yeah. Doing LSD was one of the three most important things he ever did in his life. So towards the end of Albert Hoffman's life, um, MAPS, you know, Rick Doblin and MAPS, they decided that uh, they would uh, ask uh, Steve Jobs to, to talk to Albert Hoffman and see if they could get Steve Jobs into, wow. the, into the arena on helping to calm down all the hysteria about LSD. So they made a call to Steve Jobs to, you know, the little pre-call before they got together with Albert Hoffman and all that. So when they asked uh, Steve Jobs what he felt would be the the best way to uh, 
to educate the public on on LSD, he he said, put it in the fucking water supply. <laughs> so this, so Rick Doblin goes, hey, it was nice talking to you, Steve. Thanks a lot, man. You know, we'll get back to you later on that. But Steve Jobs, what is this? Was just in two thousand and. Uh, 2005, no, was it 2005? Yeah, 2005, Steve Jobs wanted to, he said, put it in a fucking water supply. I thought that was Uh-oh, hysterical, absolutely hysterical. So, well, uh, let's face it. If the government could experiment us, uh, experiment on us by putting LSD in the drinks of uh, unsuspecting patrons of New York bars uh, back in the 50s and 60s when they were doing their MK Ultra experiments, then surely we should be able to have a bigger experiment where we put it in the water supply for everybody. Let's go. Well, I think, I think, if, the, I, I think if there was a, a program out there looking for volunteers, if the government was looking for volunteers to observe people under the influence of LSD, I think they'd be swamped with applications. Um, I would apply for the job of being under the influence, but I definitely we get bored watching other people tripping. Oh well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'd, we'd have to we'd have to read the fine print before I before I signed up for that one. I mean, if you want to put me in a in a room in a with a bunch of guys in white jackets with electrodes attached to my private. Oh, parts, that's not a trip. That's you know, a nightmare, man. That's a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> if you want, if you want to give me three hundred mics of LSD and just let me trip out and watch me, then I'm all for it. But I'll give you a trip report when I get back. Yeah, exactly, man. Just watch me. Just watch me. Right, okay, Brian, see. What's uh, what else is going on in your world? Anything, man? I'm just about done. I've got one final set of pages for the 19 to 28-year-old demographics to uh, get to finished up, and I should have that done very soon and early next week have uh, a complete new set of stuff posted on my site. Um, basically, what I'm doing is comparing the rates of use uh, for the different periods of use, lifetime, past, past year, past month, and across the different demographic groups that are monitored by the Monitoring Future Study, uh, and comparing the rates of use of marijuana and the rates of use of alcohol versus all the other illegal drugs, and then plotting it all out and looking at it and, and making it possible to uh, really demonstrate uh, that all the fears that people are having about, well, if you legalize all these drugs, suddenly everybody's going to be doing heroin and you're going to be selling PCP down at the Kmart and all that other nonsense. Um, <laughs> Welcome to Walmart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, acid is in lane five. You know, there you go. <laughs> Methamphetamine's <laughs> lane two. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like in, uh, if you want to buy cold pills, you're going to have to show your driver's license. That's right. That, yeah, that's, that's behind the pharmacy. Uh, so anyway, uh, my intent in that is to make it entirely obvious to people that legalizing all these drugs will in no way lead to increases in the use of the drugs uh, because there are other dynamics that are at play and it looks like the patterns of use uh, in terms of what drugs are found attractive by different age demographics are amazingly consistent Um, and we have to anticipate that if these things reflect reality in any sense uh, knowing full well that they are you know most likely underestimates of what's really going on in terms of drug use, then it's very encouraging, you know, that we're we're totally not going to go into the Wild West when we make all these drugs legally available. Uh, the world's not going to fall apart. People are not going to become instantaneous heroin addicts, and we've got the government's own data that really indicates that for us. So it's about just over 1,600 uh, pages and graphic elements, and I've tied it all together so that you can uh, click on the on the graphics that you see and navigate back and forth through the different data sets. 
and it really helps you see the big picture on how, holy crap, the rates of use on, uh, of these things, especially when you compare them to the use of alcohol and the use of marijuana, uh, are, are highly consistent. I mean, you can almost make a bet with somebody that, you know, the number of people who are into using amphetamines, for an example, uh, is going to be X percent of the people who use alcohol. The number of people who will use a hallucinogen of some time is going to be X percent of the people who would use alcohol. And when we try to figure out the, the limits of drug use, I would suggest that the ceiling is defined by the number of alcohol users because that is the drug the most people use. And it's very unlikely that the rates of use for any other drug are going to exceed that of alcohol. So if we use that as the benchmark and say, hmm, what, to what extent can the market and the use of these drugs grow, let's use alcohol as the upper limit. And right now, that's somewhere in the upper 80 to lower 90% of the population have ever used alcohol or used it in the past year or whatever. Uh, so when they make all the drugs legal, if uh, the number of people who use amphetamines or hallucinogens compared to the number of people traditionally who use alcohol, if the measures we currently have indicate anything to us, then most what we're going to see is a variance of about 15% more people who will get past the stigma of having the drugs illegal. Once they become legal, then up to 15% of the public may try them because it's no longer a crime. But then when you start looking at the preferences on which drugs they're going to use, most of them are going to end up using uh, pot. Uh, a significant segment will end up using hallucinogens or cocaine, and then the rest of them are going to be very, very low levels of use. Well, I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people use your site to help them uh, prepare their statistical evidence in whatever uh, point they're trying to make about the drug war. And I know I appreciate your your site. I'm just hoping that when people do use your site, they they do it with attribution so that you can uh, you can get the credit for all the all the hard work that you do. So, once again, well, Brian, tell us tell us your site and how people can get there. The, the site is called Truth Anti-Drug War. The URL is www.ryancbennett.com. That's Brian with an I and Bennett with two N's and two T's. By far the easiest way to find my site is to type in the query Anti-Drug War on Google, and I'm sure it works on other search engines just as well, but Google's got the majority of the market. Uh, Anti-Drug War, I should show up as the first or second site. Okay. Well, we appreciate you calling in, Brian, and uh, maybe we'll talk to you next week. I'll I'll try to be better prepared and more rested next week. And but, it's always a pleasure, Daniel. Thanks for having me on, as always. And uh, hey, you know, I, I get the thing. You know, we're getting old too, and I'm getting tired of this. And I know you are. So, yeah, we got to get more people to, more interested more quickly and get out there getting the word out. Either that, or just get better drugs for ourselves and not worry about it. Yeah, win the lottery, better drugs, beautiful. I'm there, brother. <laughs> okay, brother. Thanks a lot, Brian. Talk to you later. All right, take care, Daniel. All right, that was Brian C. Bennett, uh, fan of the show, smart, smart guy. You ought to visit his site and uh, and check out what he has to say. So I want to thank uh, Mary Tyler for calling in and sharing her uh, embarrassing stories about what she did and did not tell her children about drugs and how that worked out for her family. So again, uh, thanks for tuning in. Until next week, uh, keep this in mind. When good people obey bad law, bad law never changes.